0: Hello, and thank you for being a member of the History of World War II podcast. Episode 170, We'll Always Have Paris. Last time, the British launched Operation Epson on June 26th and had been able to bypass Cannes on its western side. Now they stood on a ridge that overlooked the Ornay and Odon River valleys below that city. Right away, Kurt Meyer asked for help from Dietrich, who, in his turn, asked for help from Rommel. The problem was Dietrich had already sent help, which had been shredded by Allied artillery. Hauser's 2nd SS Panzer Corps dashed for Bayeux, which was closer to the north coast and further to the west of the British push. Additionally, Dietrich had sent another panzer charge at Schuh, closer to Kahn. But those metal beasts, as well, were no match for the frenzied but accurate artillery fire. Soon Albert Frey's Kampfgruppe from the Lieb showed up, but it was too small to make a change, so more units were requested. Fortunately, Hauser's offensive was called off before his men were too mangled. At the end of the day, the Germans and SS reinforcements were not enough to change the momentum of the Allied landings. Instead, though they did not realize this at first, the Germans were just putting men into place to hold the Allied advance. Nothing more. Still, as the various officers were arguing about when to launch this attack, Hitler overrode everyone with the date of June 29th, which had nothing to do with were the men in place and ready versus his idea of always being on the attack? To make matters worse, the commander of the German 7th Army, Dolman, fearing Hitler's reaction to his losses so far, shot himself. Quickly, Hitler put Hauser in charge, the first SS officer to lead an entire army. So, a large German counterattack was coming But just to keep the Brits' Operation Epson in check, a Kampfgruppe had been sent to the west side of the Allied beachhead on the day before the attack and on the eastern side, where the British had created a salient. Kampfgruppe Frey from the Lieb went in to help the Hitlerjugend again on the day before the big push. But both local attacks failed and then stalled due to Allied firepower in the air and on the ground. But Hitler's attack the next day was simply meant to overwhelm both enemy advantages. June 29th would be a clear day and was clearly going to be one for the history books, as almost all the panzers would be sent out to push back the British salient. Leading the way would be the 2nd SS Panzer Corps, with an additional Kampfgruppe, and Tiger tanks on loan from the 102nd Heavy Battalion. But also, the panzers of the Hitlerjugend, Frey's Kampfgruppe, the 101st Heavy Battalion, and parts of the 21st Panzer Division that would attack as well, but along a different line. Basically, overwhelming heavy guns and panzers would be streaming in from different directions, from differing, Angles to confuse the defenders. This had worked over and over again in the east, but what the Germans were about to find out was gathering that many armored units and putting them into columns was like loading a barrel full of fish and then realizing someone was standing over it with a shotgun. It did not take long before the Allies realized that the enemy was up to something, something big at the very least from the long columns of German armor and trucks approaching the coast. In response, Operation Epson was halted, and the British and the Canadians dug in. Again, the Germans were going to overwhelm a section of the Allied line and had the tactical experience to do so. But history and various sports have shown over the years that defense can win contests as well. The panzers from Hauser's 2nd Panzer Corps, namely the tanks from the 9th and 10th Divisions, were to go on the attack on June 29th, starting at 6 a.m., but the Allies had set their alarm clocks for even earlier. As Hauser's panzers started out, as in the moment they left their starting positions, Allied bombers, already in the air and in position, started releasing their loads Yet, there were some Allied craft that did not descend, for they were the spotters for the artillery, already on the go as well. These spotters also directed fire for the naval armada, just offshore. In fact, the intensity of the bombs coming down convinced the German tank crews, many just before they died, that the Allies were engaging in carpet bombing, having, as they did, the resources for such an extravagant operation. In truth, there were fewer bombs dropped than imagined, just highly accurate. The SS 2nd Panzer Corps' attack was over before it could even start. Not giving up, though, the Waffen SS Panzer Grenadiers came at the Allied lines that afternoon, and as they had the numbers courage, and experience, not only did they reach and make contact with the enemy, but managed to suss out a few weak points and cause trouble. But even here, the British did not hesitate to get in close and keep back the SS armor. The supporting Kampfgruppe was also whittled down. No German objectives were achieved on this day. About five miles southwest of Kahn, was the height Hill 112 that the British had reached during the opening drive of Operation Epson. As it was south of Caen and had a grand view of the valleys below, the Germans wanted it back. So Wunsch's panzers were sent in, supported by artillery and 56 rocket launchers. This last weapon alone shook the British defenders off their feet. It took four separate bombardments, but on June 30th, the Germans were able to rush up this height, and waiting for them were nothing but burning Sherman tanks. However, there were very few dead enemy bodies. There should have been more. The reason why there were not was because the British had already decided to pull back. Obviously, the Germans were still too strong and audacious to hold any salient in their territory. For now, it was back to man the main line. So, the Germans had retaken the height, but the enemy still had their line and had not been pushed back into the sea, or even had their own line cut in two. Another German attack was launched on July 1st. But after much strutting and fretting and lives lost, the Allied line had not moved then either. But this series of engagements has to be seen as a defeat for the Germans. The Allies were still on shore, had reserves to call upon, whereas the Germans had already thrown in theirs, who were now just helping to hold the line. The Allies were aware of this, of course, and so continued to engage to wear down the Germans and the SS even further. Beyond frustrated, Hitler made some leadership changes at the top on July 3rd, like removing Rundstedt, the commander-in-chief in the West, and his Panzer Group West commander von Schweppenberg. The SS and Rommel, it has to be said, were left alone the former because of their proved loyalty and tenacity, and the latter because it might hurt overall morale. With the line once again settled down, the Allies went right back to the offensive. On July 4th, seeing Khan as the linchpin, Canadian forces were sent against the 1st-26th Panzer Grenadier Regiment guarding the airfield just west of the city. The SS troops very much outmanned, held on as best they could, using every bit of fieldcraft they had learned in the East. But as the Canadians did not give up either, had more men and control of the sky, the Panzer Grenadier Regiment gradually gave way. Now wanting to go after Kahn itself, the Allies knew that the Hitler Union were far from beaten, on the field or in their morale. To charge into that city was to die for nothing. So, on July 7th, a massive RAF bombardment was carried out on the north end of the city. The idea was to flatten a part of the defensive line, which did not unfold as the Allies wanted. Few SS troops were lost, but just over 1,000 civilians were killed. When the British and Canadian troops went in, perhaps hoping it would be relatively easy, at least at first, they were mistaken and bloodily held up. The former Hitler Youth troops were standing firm. Yet, just like at the airport, the attackers did not give up either and were able to use their superior numbers to push back the SS troops, but slowly. It took three days of fighting like this, but the Germans were pushed back to the center of the city, and then across the river Orne in its middle. By July 10th, Meyer and his had a less than cohesive line on the city's southern edge. By July 14th, Meyer had lost some 5,000 men, but those who were still on the line were defiant. Yet Meyer could see that even these young men were near the breaking point, So he asked Dietrich to switch them out with the Liebstandarte, which was approved. During the second week of July, the exchange was made along the line. As for the Hitler Union's armored battle group led by Wunsch, he and his were still in the fight, as the defenders could not afford to pull them back. During all this, Erwin Rommel was visiting the front line of his section, checking on his men and the situation in front of them. It was not good, which was true of all of the sections in northwestern France. Yet rumors started going around that Rommel wanted to make his own peace with the Allies. On July 17th, Rommel met with the officers at the 1st SS Corps headquarters to supposedly see what they thought about that. Kurt Meyer, it was also rumored, but this is hard to believe, was willing to go along with Rommel. Much of this is speculation and irrelevant, as on that very afternoon, Rommel's car was strafed by a British typhoon, a single-seat fighter bomber. His wounds forced him back to Germany. And three days later, an assassination attempt was made on Hitler's life. The SS investigated, which found Rommel to be a part of this conspiracy but he was allowed to commit suicide. Either way, another situation benefited Himmler and the SS, though they failed to protect their leader. The SS Führer's powers and responsibilities were expanded, but most importantly, he was placed in charge of the replacement army. Right away, he put his men in its leading positions, and then, as he had for years, took men from this reserve army, which occasionally went to the Wehrmacht, and funneled them into his Waffen-SS. Supreme Commander of the Allied Expeditionary Force in Europe, Dwight Eisenhower, not to mention FDR, Churchill, and of course Stalin, were getting fed up with the slowness of the Allied advance on the Western Front. To deal with this, the British launched Operation Goodwood, and as he was leading it, General Bernard Montgomery was putting his faith in this attack. He wanted to crack open the German line so a breakout could get underway. But Monty was premature. Though the Allies had bombed their attack areas, the Leibstandarte held on to the ridge just south of Caen, while on their left, or further west, the 10th SS Panzer Division held on to Hill. 112. As things stood, the Anglo-Canadian forces were making progress. It was just slow compared to expectations. Yet the panzers in the area were all engaged, thus pinned down. From a certain point of view, this was not a bad thing. For example, the Americans further west, not having to deal with this armored nightmare, had a slightly easier going of it. In front of the Americans were Wehrmacht troops of average ability, and the elite Luftwaffe paratroopers fighting alongside them, but they didn't have their heavy guns that they normally would. Those were closer to Kahn. To be sure, in this area, also opposite of the Americans, on the western end of the Allied positions, was the famed 2nd SS Panzer Division, Das Reich. The problem was, they had been broken into several Kampfgruppen, now spread out, helping the 17th SS Panzer Grenadier Division and Wehrmacht units. Starting on July 10th, the Panther tanks of the Das Reich were around Perias, level with Cannes, but much closer to the western coastline, about 10 miles from the beaches. As they were well situated, the Panthers were able to give the Americans hell each time they advanced. Yet, it must be said that the main American thrust was not at Perez, but just to its east, near St. Lo, as the Germans were about to find out. This time, with General Omar Bradley leading the way with his First Army, an aerial bombardment was conducted early on July 25th, and then Operation Cobra was launched. The German line before the strike was overstretched, undergunned, and outmanned. When the Americans came, the German positions began to be taken out, one by one, which created an opening that the mobile Americans then poured through. As there were no German reserves to throw into this opening, Bradley kept the 1st Army going in a southwesterly direction until they reached Avranches near the coast on July 31st. This rupture of the German line and the American drive to the south allowed General Patton's 3rd Army to come through as well and clean up as best he could the area that had been facing the two fighting lines. Some 20,000 German prisoners were captured, 66 tanks were destroyed, and another 56 German tanks had to be abandoned so their crews could get away. To give the Americans every chance of success, the Anglo-Canadian forces launched their own Operation Bluecoat to make sure the tanks from the 22nd SS Panzer Corps in their area to the east were locked down. As Bradley's 1st Army had been charging south by southwest, the 17th SS Panzer Grenadier Division and the Das Like pulled back for fear of encirclement. And even here, several Kampfgruppen were surrounded. But their experience from the east allowed them to maneuver their way to safety, as opposed to fighting their way out. By August 5th, these two divisions were re-established just east of the town of Morton, itself about 20 miles east of Arrange. As these two SS divisions took stock, the 17th SS Panzergrenadier realized they were no more now than a Kampfgruppe and were so newly designated. The Das Reich had also lost too many men and vehicles, but technically, on paper, they were still described as a division, which would not serve them well back in Berlin. Back to northern France, with Bradley's breakout, coupled with Patton's grabbing up POWs, the latter was now free to turn west and threaten German positions in Brittany, or even worse, for the Germans, turn east and help neutralize the rest of Normandy, which would open up the way to Paris. The German officers in France wanted to pull back, perhaps as far as the Seine River, which flows through Paris, and Dietrich was among them. Some wanted to pull back to the French-German border. But back in Berlin... Hitler, ever the glass is half full, certainly during his mental decline, saw an opportunity to strike at the Allies, versus retreating to maintain a cohesive defense. On August 2nd, Der Fuhrer ordered the remaining Panzer Divisions to hit the Americans at Morton, and then to drive to the coast to take Avranche. This would cut the Americans off before they could go any further west or south. But what he did not, or could not realize, was that the maps before him showed his remaining units, but it did not describe their mental or physical exhaustion. Further, to take any panzers from around Caen, and then move them to the southwest, was actually setting them up for encirclement by the Americans, with the Anglo-Canadians slamming the door shut behind them. His generals delicately pointed this out, but by now Hitler was beyond constructive criticism. Pluge, in charge of the war in the West, told Hauser, the commander of the 7th Army, to ready himself for the attack that would win back the offensive in France. Greetings, everyone from Central Virginia. I just want to let you members know that, yes, I know this is way ahead of the timeline and the main story, kind of sorry about that now, but I find the SS very fascinating. So what I'll do is I will finish up with the SS, but on a high level, not giving away too many details. So when we get to it uh, in the main line, we'll obviously go into minute detail. So we're almost done with this, and then I'll come up with a, another subject or get back to crop. Um, but I just want to let you know, kind of hit a high level, let's finish off the SS, we'll save it for the main story, and then we'll move on to something else. So, uh, as usual, thank you for helping support the show, I appreciate you very much, I'll give the newest members a shout out on the next episode, and as always, take care.